My name's Bill Osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N-E. Okay, and when were you born? I was born March of 1948. Okay, and where were you born? Uh, here in Fredericktown, in fact, in the home on Franklin Street, I, uh, where I was born and raised. Okay, and who are your parents? Uh, Rosina Kessler Osborne and uh, Buddy J.E. Osborne. And if you could, just we'll start by if you could maybe say a little bit about your earliest memories. Oh, my earliest memories were uh, going fishing with my father, and my cocker spaniel dog got out in the water, and I was just sure that dog was going to drown. But Papa assured me that it would swim out, and sure enough, he was right. It swam right out. Uh, what body of water? There's a big St. Francis River down by uh, Salt Peter Cave. It's just up from the new bridge there on T.E. Highway. And uh, Papa drove a stock truck, so he knew all the farmers, and he'd go anywhere in the county and fish or hunt or whatever he liked. Wow. So that, that was one of my early memories. And then uh, that was, I was probably four or five at that time. But then... Uh, my father passed away whenever I was, oh, six or eight years old. That was a vivid memory, too. And then, but my mother always admired her because she had three kids ranging in age from I was the youngest to my sister was probably uh, 14, 15 years old. And then my brother was, oh, probably 12, 14. But he had had spinal meningitis which was similar to polio uh, whenever he was like three months old. And it was prevalent at that time. Uh, the girl next door, she had it. She uh, survived and could still walk and talk. My brother couldn't do either one. But uh, my mother told me about having, uh, you know, Papa died. She had three kids to raise and had like 40 cents in the bank account or something like wow. that. So you have to really admire people like that. And uh, the other thing is I was raised by women and I can really appreciate how hard the women worked. I worked out sometimes with the men, but it was really the women that worked. They started like at 2 a.m., particularly on wash days or canning days or things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, the luxury was having a summer kitchen. This way you had a wood fire in a stove outside your house. Well, we didn't have that luxury. <laughs> so Mama would be uh, canning in, on a wood stove in our house during this, much like this 100-degree you know, weather. Right. And, now this was on Franklin Street? Yes, it's on Franklin Street. And uh, it was um, across, well, it was about uh, a block down from the elementary school. Mm -hmm. And in the block between the uh, lead company, National Lead, had built homes for their executives and their upper echelon staff. So we had the experience of being raised with these folks are really, really neat people. They had came from all over the country to work in the lead company, lead mines here. 
and they um, they had oh like one gentleman was from Louisiana, another one was from uh, oh Texas, and one of the engineer's wife. I'll always remember that family because um, she had went to one of the colleges out east, uh, Seven Sisters, um, but Bernard, Barnard or something like that. And uh, she was quite, quite a lady. And you mentioned the impact in the community. Those folks were very active. The, the husbands worked at the jobs, but the wives were available to head up efforts among the community organizations mm -hmm. and community service, um, and they were very dedicated to, to uh, education. Mm -hmm. And I think it's to their credit that we have you know the quality education is there, not just Fredericktown or Madison County, but they were interested in the junior college. Seymour University and Columbia. Uh, you know, it. Uh, we're, we're truly blessed to have all these information education facilities, including the library. I remember whenever I was a kid, my sister. She was older than me. She well, she still is, and uh, but she would. We'd walk from up there down to the library, and I think. It was at the corner of West Main and Park Street. Um, title Company has it now, and that uh, the library was there. And then, if I was really a good boy, she would stop by, and there was a bakery. Um, fellow's name was Winters, Gus Winters, I think. Um, she would stop by and let me buy a sugar cookie about the size of a uh, hubcap um, from wow. the old cars. And what street was that one? That would have been on South Main. The print shop. We were on South yeah, Main. Yeah, it's across, it was across the street from, um, from where we're at. This was a Kroger store at that time. Huh. And, but this was across the street, and I'm trying to think, it may be where the Masonic Lodge they had those windows we, that would be telling. Uh -huh. They still had the bakery. Yeah. And but they changed their fronts. Yeah. Fronts, yeah. So sometimes it's hard to tell what fronts. Now, yeah. were you born in a hospital? Or no, at home. At home. We had a uh, granny lady. Uh, she'd be comparable to what uh, today would be called a midwife. Mm -hmm. uh, just a neighborhood lady, uh, Mrs. Klimp. And she grew up, or she was out from a German community where Mama was born. And so she came up to help Mama deliver me. And where was the German community? Oh, it was out on H Highway. Um, it, let me think, it was probably about seven miles from Fredericktown. And you know where the Bruins live? Um, it's about seven miles up H Highway from Fredericktown, and then uh, if you get to K Highway, you went too far. <laughs> but uh, it was a very close knit uh, 
community out there. Sure. The uh, uh, many of the folks moved; they were first generation uh, in this country. Uh, my grandfather, well, he was born in this country, but some of his brothers and sisters were born over in Germany. But they again, very very uh, supportive of education. Uh, my several of my cousins and my uncle. They never had any children. By that time, they knew they never would. But they always voted for a tax increase, education. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, uh, everybody valued education so highly. Mm -hmm. And we were lucky to be here in this area because uh, but we had Marvin College. We had the, each of the little communities like German had a school uh, was one of the first things they did was uh, have a school, church services in the same building, and uh, but they had. Uh, no, this was in the fifties. No, this was in the probably the early nineteen hundreds. Oh, okay. And but, but even but in the fifties, the 50s, community was still functioning. Oh yes, yes. When and, you were born in yeah, and it had the school until probably the late. I'm guessing the late 50s. Um, and each one of these small communities had a school, either, you know, like first through sixth grade, first through eighth grade, or first through 12th grade. And, uh, but most of them were within walking distance of the students' home. Um, of course, walking distance might have been three miles. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, that's one way. Yeah, but they didn't go home for lunch, and um, so it uh, it was quite quite an interesting group. Yeah. So you, oh, well, did you actually good. live in a miner's home then? Pardon? On Franklin, did you live in one of those brick miner homes? No, I was across the street. Uh, okay. There was several homes in that area that had uh, the owners lived on the first floor, and then they had sleeping rooms up above because the miners. Uh, you know, they wanted some place to stay close because their automobiles and such as that were available, but a lot of people didn't have them. So they'd get a sleeping room, they called them, um, and they had sleeping rooms upstairs. And my, I think it was my grandmother, yeah, my grandmother um, fixed lunch and maybe evening meal breakfast or something like that for these miners. And uh, it brought them into the home and oh. kind of the early bed and breakfast. <laughs> right. So, uh, and did your mom do that too, or just your grandmother? No, just my grandmother. Okay. And uh, it. Uh, like a boarding house. Yeah, bo yeah, like a boarding house, except uh, it was just a, uh, a boarding house, sleeping room. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you were born on Franklin Street, you uh -huh. grew up there. Um, you were talking earlier about your mom canning and uh -huh. all the work that they did canning oh, in the heat. Um, and so, what do you recall of that of your early childhood? Your your older brother was uh, because of the illness. Disabled, disabled. Completely. Yeah, so he was yeah. disabled. And Mama took care of him just like a child. Right. Uh, so, how, did anyone after your father passed? Was she? How did she? How she yeah, how did made a living? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Papa had worked long enough to be, so we were eligible for Social Security, 
uh, survivor benefits. Now, it was kind of in a gray area, but statute of limitations has uh, passed. So, uh, yeah, he it was set up so he uh, had worked long enough to draw minimum Social Security, which was a godsend for us because, you know, Mama couldn't leave and work because my brother, and then she took care of my sister and me too. And the Social Security disability is what helped us survive. And in fact, I was on Social Security um, whenever I was in high school and college. It uh, gave a stipend for uh, attending. And so, okay, and let's maybe talk about school. Oh. You enjoyed school. Seems like education well, is important to you. So, what? well, I enjoyed school. Uh, the uh, one one of the things I remember early on, my sister, as I mentioned, would bring me down to the library, and you had at that time some books called uh, "Great Works of the Western World" or something like that, and it was a series of uh, authors, and I checked those out. Hey, I just you know, ten years old or something like that. And I checked those books out. It was just, it just broadened my horizon so much. And uh, I wasn't a great student, though. Um, in fact, uh, I was on. Uh, what is it? I'm trying to remember the term they used for the kids that weren't real bright. I was one of those. <laughs> I mean, that's not what they called us, but right. we knew what it was. Right. And, uh, um, it, today it'd probably be called learning disabled, okay. but uh, back then they didn't they didn't make it so. Uh, they they used to track kids too. You know, if you were in seventh oh, grade, seven right. A and seven yeah. B. Yeah, and uh, I was way down at the bottom of those, mm. and uh, but uh, I managed mm. <laughs> barely, but uh, got by. But the, the education, I remember the, the instructors, uh, teachers, were some of the most well-respected people in the whole community. Mm-hmm. And the superintendent of schools mm-hmm. uh, and principals, administrative staff, you know, they, they were really highly recognized uh, for their expertise and leadership in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> yeah. Several of my friends acted out. I tried to talk them out of it. I was eight or ten years old. Mm-hmm. I tried to talk them out of it. They did it anyway. Uh-huh. And uh, they were, if they were caught, they would be punished at school, uh, physical punishment. But when they got home, they would get uh, punished again. Now, I can say and tell the truth. My parents, neither one of them ever hit me. They were adamantly against that, and um, I just wouldn't do it. So uh, I didn't have to worry about it I got home. But they would set me down and talk to me. Oh, man, make you feel bad. I almost rather had a beating than uh, I'd sit down and talk to you. What did you do in the summers? Well, I usually worked. Uh, my family had farms, and I would work farm. I thought I was working. I think they were just keeping me to take it off, load off mama. But uh, I thought they were, I was working. Particularly my uncles out of German community, he was one of the last people to give up the horses. So I worked the horses. I could drive the horses. I could help him. 
I couldn't handle the harness, but I could help help him hook up the horses. He was, we've got an Amish group out here, uh, much like that. Um, they, uh, the the whole family, worked on the farm, and it was um, much like the Amish. But uh, now, one of the things that that labor, or my work as a child, really got me set for labor as I got older. By the time I was, oh, 10 or 12, I was driving the horses. Uh, one of the easy jobs, whenever they were cutting logs, was hooking up the horses and dragging the uh, logs down to the um, stationing area, where a truck would come by and pick up the, but uh, bringing the, and again, I thought I was driving the horses. I think the horses knew where to go. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of holding the reins. Right. <laughs> and by the time I was, oh, 12, 14, I had full-time employment, maybe working the hay fields. Now, my family put up hay loose. Uh, they didn't bale it or anything. They just cut it, raked it, and threw it on the wagon. Uh, after that, some of the more progressive farmers in this area actually had hay balers to take a lot mm -hmm. of that work off. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, and really, you know, putting up hay was a hard job, right. even at best. So before and, the balers, did you just do like the, uh, that iconic shape of stacks? Oh, that's, yeah. no. We, uh, we put everything in the barn. And the process was you would put this loose hay, you'd, they'd cut it, let it dry in the fields, and then come back around with a uh, rake, either a horse-drawn rake or by that later they had a uh, tractor that would pull and put the hay in a uh, row down through the field. And then you go back with the uh, hay fork and make a pile and then they bring the, uh, the wagon around. Uh, this would be hay wagons like you'd see in European uh, yeah. farm scenes, you know, with the uh, support system mm -hmm. and then the big, big pile of hay on this. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you take that into the barn and they had something called a hay, not hay fork that came out on a rope. You'd set it in the hay and then hook the horses to this hay rope and pull it up into the barn, back into the back of the barn, and then release it with a rope. It was loose? Yes, it's all loose. So no haystacks? No, no haystacks, no. Uh, haystacks were for other purposes. My folks thought that if you let the hay get wet, it would draw the nutrients out of it. And even in a haystack, you'd have some get wet. And they were very careful that they uh, took care of everything they had. They really uh, uh, meticulous in the care of their feed mm -hmm. and their stock. And the, the feed was one issue. The other one was always having fresh water mm -hmm. for your animal. You had to carry the water mm -hmm. uh, possibly twice a day to keep. So, um, did, were your, did you have impressions of the outside of uh, Madison County, the outside world, you know, current events, uh, anything jump out at? Well, uh, some of my relatives were in the Korean War, uh, 
And then um, we had newspapers out of St. Louis. And in 1958, um, one of the fellows that worked, uh, worked out the mines um, and Mama took care of his kids, we all went to the 1958 car show in St. Louis. Mm. And one of my most vivid memories, you know, he, he and his wife uh, wanted to do it right because I'd never been out of San, I'd been in St. Louis maybe half a dozen times by then, but I'd never been to a really nice restaurant. Mm. And I remember sitting down in this restaurant uh, and it had uh, crystal glasses. Mm. He And he did, he said, watch this. And he dipped his finger in that glass and then ran around me. And I, I was just amazed, you know. Yeah. A peanut butter, I mean, a, a jelly jar just won't make that sound. Right. <laughs> You would only been about ten or so. Yeah, yeah just right. a kid, right. but uh, and they, uh, I'm, I'm uncertain where they went to. They after mm -hmm. after the mines closed, yeah. uh, that had a major impact on our town, right. and we lost a lot of, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, intellectual bank uh, deposits or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, uh, these these folks knew. They knew the world around them. They uh -huh. knew what it takes, and uh, they were very, very willing to share it. Uh -huh. uh, when do you remember that happening, uh, as far as people leaving because the winding down? Was I'm it thinking it was in the '60s. I don't, I don't yeah. remember uh, when the mine closed. Yeah. Okay. But you uh, do remember sort of seeing that change happen? Oh yes, yes, very much so. Um, the uh, it that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the possibility of the mines opening again. Mm -hmm. There was a fellow that came here probably now 15, 20 years ago, and he was from South Africa. Well, he was really originally from Boston, but he had moved to South Africa and had worked in the mines there in South Africa. And um, he came over to start this mining operation uh, he was a geologist, and he told me that, you know, Bill, sooner or later, they'll have to open those mines. But, of course, I've been hearing that ever since the 50s or 60s, whenever they moved out. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm hoping Larry was right. Mm -hmm. And uh, But, uh, well, yeah. Did they give a reason why they... Well, there were several rumors, and uh, why Larry's, Larry's mine wouldn't... Didn't no, work. in the sixties. Okay, I think one of the products they were getting was cobalt, and that was a strategic mineral, and there was federal assistance to make sure we had enough cobalt to support our well military industrial um, efforts, and cobalt was used for. I'm thinking. Um, to strengthen steel and in uh, jet engines. There's a little fluke that uh, uh, the air moves through mm. and spins the engine. And I think that is made from either cobalt or a cobalt uh, mm. material type. So, But that, that was one. Uh, and the other one was that the uh, they lost any support from federal government mm -hmm. uh, to 
signal for the mining operation. Mm. That and so what it was subsidized. Yeah, it was subsidized. Yeah, it was strategic material for our military. So it couldn't run independently without government money. No, no, no. I'm guessing were they still doing lead and other things? Too? Oh yes, lead, uh, lead, zinc, uh, nickel. So that would, let's say that that was winding down maybe in the 60s and 70s. And that's about 60s. when you were, okay, 60s. Yeah, yeah. And you would have been in your mid-teens, right. mid late-teens. Yeah. And you, yeah. did you, uh, what do you recall of that time period as a teen in Fredericktown? Like, you know, during the 60s, sure. was yeah. there much going on? Or uh, well, I worked in a service station that was like a rite of passage. You had to work in a service station if you were a kid in this town. And uh, so I worked in a service station, and I remember several of the people, they were old people, like they were way up in their 20s whenever I knew them. But uh, I remember them working in St. Louis and coming down here on weekends and uh, looking forward to, these guys were maybe in their 20s, 30s, but they were looking forward to retirement so they could move back home. Uh, wow. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how many of them actually came back, but uh, it was, and there was, at that time, even during the early 60s, uh, there was an active retail community here. Mm. Uh, there were like three different men's clothing stores, um, two or three uh, women dress shops, and then a uh, the, the Kroger store, uh, IGA, and then every little neighborhood had a neighborhood store. Mm. Uh, so I remember that there there was seemed to be more money floating around, right. and disposable I, income. Yeah, disposable income too. So that. you talked about the Korean War, uh -huh. and I know the United States. Uh, was concerned, they even named it the domino theory, that they were trying to contain communism. There was right, like an right. SM them yeah. thing, and yeah. uh, with fallout shelters more oh, during the yeah. 50s. Did yeah. that, was that anything people were worried about down oh, here? Especially the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm -hmm. but also prior to that, we had a, in school, I think it was either once or twice a year, we had practice uh, for a nuclear attack, and there was fallout shelters where you needed to go, and they had like a cookie in there or a cracker or something like that that you could eat. That's what you would live on. And it until was you... located around the Frederick Town? Yes, uh huh. Uh, in fact, I'm trying to think if there was one in the basement of the courthouse or I don't remember where they were located, but at that time it was vividly, uh, I remember vividly that uh, we knew where they were. Mm. Yeah. But it, were you know, they in the school as well? Oh yeah, I'm sure there was some in the school, but. Uh, so it was a concern? Oh yes, very much so. And um, then whenever uh, President Kennedy was shot, and I guess that was 64, Six, 63, time passed fast, we were having fun. But uh, no, I remember that breaking on, uh, breaking on, I was at school at the time, in high school, uh, 
the one that used to be down on uh, South Main. Uh, and you know, that was just horrible for kids because nobody knew what to expect. Mm. Uh, but it was finally, but the Cuban Missile Crisis, we, I, I was older at that time and that really, really scared me. Yeah, I think that was 62, October 62. Oh, um, I'm, I don't have a timeline on that, but it. Old enough, you were old enough to know. That yeah, that was know. that was a biggie. Did you watch it on television? Yes, yes. In fact, my neighbors all came over to my house because we were one of the first homes to get a television. One of the ladies that lived with us, uh, she had came on, joined our family, and uh, to take care of my grandmother. Uh, and to help my mother take care of my brother. Uh, but uh, she worked at a restaurant. Highway 67 ran through town at that time. And out across the Pick Pit Barbecue, there was a uh, Graham's Cafe or some a cafe. And she worked there and she saved her tips for like a year or so to come up with enough money to buy us a TV. And uh, she she was a wonderful lady. She, uh, Very gentle. You know, I remember I went back even further. Uh, my sister and I saw Sputnik, the uh, first Russian uh, satellite. Was it? Yeah, it was a satellite. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. It was about the size of a basketball, I think. It was a tiny little thing, okay. but uh, it just circled the Earth, and you could see it go over. It wasn't that high. Right. <laughs> And then they had the first astronaut, cosmonaut, Yuri, I forget his last name. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, I think they sent a dog up before that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the dog, right. though. Monkey. <laughs> yeah, monkey. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds as if, you know, you had a window to the world. Oh, yes, yeah. And, but a lot, of, a lot of television stations. No, we had uh, Channel 5, Channel 12, and Channel 2. But... Uh, and you know, we always had something to watch. And now we have probably two hundred channels, uh -huh. and I'm not sure none of it's really interesting. <laughs> was the Democrat news different back then? Did it cover? Well, it was know, an independent national? newspaper and owned and operated locally. So uh, what? It never was really a national news type thing. Well, they they had a. It was more oriented towards the local market, okay. and I. I think was successful. I remember Ferguson. Oh right, right. Yeah. And uh, they they were key leaders in our community, and just great people. I forgot about their involvement. Yeah. So your one of your first jobs was working at the gas station. Uh -huh. What do you remember as far as transitioning to out of high school? What What was your life like, say, when you were eighteen to thirty? Oh, I uh, went to school first at Mac, okay. and uh, Mac had just opened a, uh, I was just opening a new facility where they're at now, and uh, I had been in that school so long that they let me park on the teacher's parking lot. Wow. <laughs> I'd been there like five semesters or wow. something, <laughs> but uh, then I went, uh, I took about a year off, and uh, working in collections and loan companies and uh, decided that well, um, 
one one of the fellows that I was working for, a manager, uh, we were floor planning. Uh, like television, television was still people finance their TVs, and we had several of them financed, and uh, some people got behind on their loan, and the manager of the loan company, I was just I was just a collector, and uh, that's way down here at the bottom, but the the manager was like king, and he got angry one day that we couldn't collect some money from some people. And he said, what are you doing Saturday morning? And I said, well, you know, I'll be here to work. He said, we're going to go do some collecting. Well, I thought we'd go out and knock on some doors and tell people, you know, pay up or all things are bad is going to happen. No, he brought his pickup truck. And we went in on Saturday morning. At that time, children loved cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons was wonderful. Uh, and, you know, we went into these homes with a little kid sitting around eating oh. Cheerios and uh, watching their favorite. Bugs uh, Bunny or Tom and Jerry or something. Yeah, Tom and Jerry, and uh, I'm trying to think of the little Mighty Mouse, Mighty mm -hmm. Mouse. And we walked in there and explained to them we needed some money or was going to have to pick up their TV. Well, they thought it was bluffing. That, you know, I'd told them that before. <laughs> Yeah, we never had to do anything. But uh, this time, the manager was with me, and he said, okay, unplug the phone, unplug the TV, we're going to take it on out. These little kids were just throwing up that. Sure. That was my motivator to go back to college <laughs> and go into business or something like that. I knew I didn't want to do that as a career. <laughs> All right, that is the heartbreaking. Oh, and we did like three or four of them that one morning. Yeah. And, uh, so he did not like being a repo man. No, no, I, I really... Now, the repo, like that, it's horrible. Uh, normally, I could talk with people and they would, you know, I mean, they borrowed the money or they bought the car and I never had a minute's trouble. Well, I never had trouble on repos with adults. Uh, and the little kids, you know, that we have taken the TV away from, I couldn't explain to them why we're taking their TV because, sure. you know, then I had to blame their parents and I didn't want to do that. But uh, but the other parts of repo, I didn't mind. One of the fellows I worked for whenever I was going to school down to Cape, he had a fleet of probably 45 to 50 vehicles that he would sell people on payments. He had a loan company too. And... He would sell them a car and then finance it, and then they would get behind for whatever reason, and you had to go get the car. They'd bring it by and say, I can't make the payment. Well, some of those people, I worked there about three years, and I know some of those people had bought four or five cars there. They'd just buy a car and not be able to pay for it. But uh, it was a regular fleet he had that he sold and financed, and then the people brought them back. Then they would buy another car later. Later, whenever they whenever they got some money together, uh, they couldn't they couldn't pick up the old car mm -hmm. uh, because you know it had all that interest and principal against it. So they'd buy another car about the same condition, and uh, they. Uh, but it was all legal. I mean, yeah. you know, as far as legal, it was legal. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I imagine that was an interesting time for this area because the mines were shifting, and I guess Brown was, Brown Shoe was still. Open. Brown Shoe was still here. So they were still employing yep. people. and right? uh, Brown Shoe was a cornerstone of you know particularly uh, of the wives would go to right. work at Brown Shoe. Right. The guys would work at something else. Right. If Why they, was that? Uh, it was normally pretty low pay, and uh, the. All of the shoe companies tried to attract rural women to work for them because oh. they would work cheaper and not 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 sewing. Yeah, sewing, cutting, uh, you know, gluing, mm-hmm. whatever it takes to make a shoe. The women could do it, right. and the and a lot of them. This had been the first job they ever had. Um, and they would stay with it until retirement, uh, 40 years or so. Then what uh, would the men do? What would they try to do? <clears throat> uh, some of them hunted and trapped. And my mama had a restaurant. And you know the guys would hang around there during the day waiting for their wives to get off work. <laughs> No, it, I'm making it worse than it really was. No, what would they do with what they had hunted? Pardon? What would they do with that? Oh, trapping? Would they just feed their own family with it, or was there a market? Oh, there was a market for the skins. And uh, I'm going back years now, back to probably there was a rationing during World War II. And whatever you raised, you could eat or sell, but... And Mama and Papa, Papa was going back and forth to St. Louis with a truck, um, hauling livestock and such as that, and then bringing a load of coal or whatever might be needed down here, bringing that back. But Mama would raise white rabbits. These are New Zealand rabbits. And she would butcher them, and Papa would take them to St. Louis and sell them up there, or we'd sell them here locally. And that's when they had the restaurant? No, this was this was whenever my, before my papa died. Okay. And uh, would they so they your mom would skin the rabbits and then send the pelts? No, and the pelts and but also the meat. Oh meat. Uh huh. And uh so separate markets, separate places yeah, to yeah. sell. Well I I don't know. I never rode with him up there for that. Uh sure, so and, young, yeah. but it uh when did she have the restaurant? Was that that came? No, later? that came whenever I was probably in high school, probably oh, okay. the sixty-two to sixty-six. Ah, okay. Not about sixty-four to sixty-eight, I guess. I and uh, she had a small restaurant in the let's see, it'd be the southwest corner of the court square. Okay. And just a hamburger place. She ran right. it and had uh, I, I washed dishes. And did fry cook type stuff, and okay. she she actually made the meals. Uh-huh. So and, that was in the sixties. Uh huh. So that would have been probably you worked at the gas station for a while, and then that maybe would have been next. Just no, it was things. both together. No, yeah, both yeah. Together. yeah. Okay. What and did you would have been. I'm sorry. What did she call it? Sportsman's Cafe, huh. and she had bought it from a gentleman that uh, had the local radio station, and he. He was going to uh, run them both, and he decided the uh, 
radio station was easier to, than a restaurant. Yeah. Restaurant is hard, hard work. Right. Yeah. So. So. Okay, so then you were doing that. Then uh, <laughs> let's jump back to um, when you were a little older, you, you were doing the collections, and that yeah. prompted you to go back to school. school. Right. Okay, and so you went back to school, and then what happened? Uh, I started, well, you after I graduated. Mac. Pardon? You, you went to Mac? Yeah, I went to Mac for uh, four or five semesters. Yeah, it was just a start. It started in the, uh, oh, Flat River High School. Okay. Uh, we had one one building at the uh, campus. Uh, and then uh, here a school bond was passed, and they decided they would open up where they're at now. They're at the intersection of... Uh, Highway 67. Okay. So it, yeah, so it, uh, and then. What uh, were you studying there? Uh, <laughs> well, I was studying economics and physics. Okay. The only reason for that was those were easy classes, <laughs> so oh. I, I took those two. Okay. And, that uh, might be debatable. Pardon? Yeah. Physics. Physics. Might be. Yeah. <laughs> no, there was there was an instructor there that was a statistician and. Um, um, he made he made the physics easy, ah. and he had real challenges with his uh, statistics. I didn't do real well at that either semester, but at, uh, and then economics was you know just a snap. Uh, it um, so it you know, I I was working and everything and. Yeah. I had a lot of uh, other activities that I took in uh -huh. rather than studying. And did you go to school afterwards after you had your associates? Oh yes, I went to Cape, uh, finished up down there. And since that time, I was lucky. I was the company I was working for, SMTS, a transportation group. Uh, they. Your taxpayer dollars are at work. I've traveled to at least three or four universities to, um, you know, learn how to be a better manager. And I can't say how how valuable uh, the training was, but it sure worked for me. Right. So did you then? So you went to you finished off school in Cape. Uh -huh. Were you? How soon did you start working for SMTS? Oh, it was about a year after I. Uh, yeah, I worked in Chicago for about uh, nine months. Okay. So you did business management? Yes, uh, uh, and in Chicago I was working with the uh, warehousing distribution of mm -hmm. Tractor Supply Company. They had 125 stores at that time, mm -hmm. and we had a computer there in Chicago, and all the inventory was kept on the computer. No way it didn't work that way. <laughs> We'd send people out to count them, and sometimes they would send me out to count things at the Indianapolis office or mm -hmm. warehouse. Or, uh, and I was never well received at those mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. uh, they, people people from home office second-guessing the folks there in the field. Right. So you came back to Missouri at yes. this point? After uh, how long? You said about nine months you were? Yeah, about a year. Oh. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see, it was in 70, 72, 73, um, I started with Southeast Missouri Transportation Service. Okay.
at that time there was just a bunch of dedicated people who had been working on as volunteers and then uh, the uh, that kind of gelled and the board of directors got together and uh, made application to the state mm. and the state had some local money and some federal funds for uh, rural transit and was that one of the first agencies of that kind in this i would imagine and certainly in the region right? oh yeah uh there was a group called oats out of columbia um they have, they had all but southeast Missouri, okay. and they they are national okay. recognized. They were one of the first ever, and SMTS wouldn't be where it's at, or wouldn't have been where it was at whenever I was running it, uh, without the O's group. They were just fantastic to work with. Right. Yeah, and yeah, but that that trend has really uh, increased having rural transit. Because uh, it's per- it's particularly difficult for rural residents to get back and forth to doctors or even facilities. Um, we started off providing medical transportation, uh, particularly long distance medical transportation from places like Malden and Kennett, uh, Caruthersville, taking folks up to the. Uh, Columbia, Missouri, to the medical Ellis Fischel Cancer Research Center and then the medical hospital there. To give you an idea, these people were sick. I mean, they were very sick. But they endured a van ride from Malden or way down the boot hill up to Columbia and back. They would be on the vehicle at least 12 hours. And then they'd be sitting around waiting for their appointment for another eight or ten hours then they come back and uh, it was that was a uh, educational training hospital Mm -hmm. and some of the people that went up there the doctors were saying they hadn't ever seen anybody that bad a shape Mm -hmm. and I think part of it was people had just ridden 12 hours Mm -hmm. but uh, later on we had to start sending two drivers because of the limited number of hours that drivers could work. Uh, But the the riders, uh, that that was really rough on them. Yeah. Yeah. We're in such a spread out area. It's not like in an urban area where people can catch buses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I can't imagine the Uh, coordination of getting people long distances. Well, you know, it was interesting because people were so dedicated to that. The employees, the volunteers, everyone right. was so dedicated to get those people back and forth. Wow. Even even here in you know Fredericktown, getting people back and forth here in Fredericktown, or up to Farmington, down right. to Cape, right. uh, back and forth to the senior center. Right. Uh, the employee, there was um, some of the employees. Well, these people uh, would work for that without pay. Uh, right. They were so dedicated to helping other people. It was almost like a cult. (laughs) But uh, they... uh, uh, So it was volunteer to begin with, and gradually as you were able to get funding, you employed people. Right, right. Yeah, that that was a model. And uh, some of the, you know, all kinds of different models developed in in the industry. We had... uh, Employees were coordinating the trips, taking the calls, and scheduling 
the riders, you know, the trip right. for the riders. Then we had paid staff to drive the vehicles. Okay. Other people used, other groups used different models. Right. But uh, that was, that's what we thought was the two most important uh, jobs, that and management. Right. <laughs> and so you started there in 75, and you, you were there until how recently? Uh, let's see, I was there until for... 30, 35 years, okay. something like that. So it's, I've been retired four or five years. Okay. It was very rewarding for me mm-hmm. uh, to help develop that and then uh, watch it grow. And since I, since I retired, it's grown even more. Wow. <laughs> so it... Uh, How many do you have in your, or did you have in your... Oh, uh, I think we had like 125, 150 vehicles. Uh, now, all of those weren't running full-time, but you have to have a backup fleet in order to have the dependability of the service because we ran quite a bit of dialysis, people going back and forth to dialysis, and if those folks, they, they had to go. Right. Uh, so uh, you had to have at least some backup equipment. But, you know, the other thing is the support we got in local communities mm-hmm. For instance, the, uh, the mechanic shops and the service stations and places like that, those guys have just bend over backwards to help. Um, in fact, at one time we were having some financial problems and I, we got behind on paying people. Mm. And it was my job to call these debtors, mm-hmm. people that we owed money to, mm-hmm. and explain to them why they weren't getting their checks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that, but what amazed me was there was one uh, one fellow over at Salem. He owned, owned several stations we were gassing at, and he just carried on open ticket, hmm. you know, and sent us a bill every month. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we we got behind. I mean, we were like, good now God! Why would you get behind? Would because the federal government cut yeah, Well, no, it was, sometimes. Well, I could say it was the federal government, but in reality, we got behind on sending bills in, and uh, then sometimes they got behind on sending us payments, too, so mm-hmm. it was a combination of factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the the fellow over at, Saint Gen- over at uh, Salem, I'll always remember, he said, well, Bill, you don't worry about that. Pay some other folks, but, you know, but just, just don't pay me when you can. I thought, good God. Right. <laughs> you really filled a need. Oh. Well, I think for a lot of people, I know myself, until this conversation, I sort uh-huh. of, in the back, back of my mind, I knew that I had a sense of what was going on. Uh-huh. You don't think of SMTS as being a medical services, but really you kind of are medical services right. as much as anything. Uh, that, yeah, at one time, probably over 50% of our uh, business was medically related. Yeah, that's mileage right. particularly. Right. Uh, so it. Uh, it's uh, we, not just transport. It's yeah. Medical transport. Yeah, and uh, since uh, SMTS started, there's been a lot of emphasis on providing medical transportation, particularly in rural areas. Right. The uh, Medicaid program, it has picked up some uh, of the need, mm-hmm. and then I think Medicare. Uh, is paying for some trips, okay. uh, but I'm I'm not involved in that right. uh, at this time. So it. 
But uh, young people use it too. Yes. Um, say they've lost their license. Yes. And they have to go to Seta. Right. Uh-huh. So they uh-huh. have to get a ride. Yeah. Right. And uh, then a lot of people work or uh, work shelter workshops. We carry a lot of folks to training facilities, uh, employment programs, um, and uh, that is particularly the uh, sheltered workshops. Man, I, I'm just amazed. Everybody can do something, and those managers, managers of the shelter workshops, they're able to you know, find a way to help these people learn to do what they need to do. And, one of the fellows I worked with out of West Plains, he had a system set up uh, to sort screws, bolts, and things like mm-hmm. that. And he had made, uh, oh, like uh, a uh, indentation. And they had to be able to put the right bolt in. But after they, those folks once learned that, it was just amazing how quick... After after the answer, how quick they could sort bolts or right. do most of any of that kind of stuff, um, and much 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 better than I ever could. I mean, I could be there the rest of my life, and I wouldn't right. be able to do that. Right. But uh, they they managed to do it. No, are right. the fares Pardon? the sliding scale for SMTs? I'm not sure how that works now. I'll I'll leave that to the experts. So really, SMTs though. Fundamental service. Yeah, Darwinist right. transit yeah. down yeah. here. Where many of my many of my colleagues worked in urban transit systems, right. and you know they would worry if their bus was running ten or fifteen minutes late on a run. I right. mean, you just do not run late with bus in right. an urban area. Right. Well, in rural Missouri, whenever whenever I was working with SMTS, if our bus got there within a half hour, we were tickle pink, right. <laughs> and Sometimes same day, people weren't used to it, at running precisely, right. and again on the on the employees, the drivers, and the coordinators, they were just great. Uh, I am sure we were hiring from a second from a secondary labor pool, much like the Brown Shoe Company. Uh, you know, people that had you know needed money, what they used to call pin money, just walking around money. These folks. Uh, the wife or the spouse, a farmer, had a full career and were in their 60s and just needed something to do. Now, many of the husbands did not know they needed something to do until the wife explained it to them. One of our biggest recruiters were the wives and people that had retired. They would come in and get an application for their husband. And we'd explain to them that, you know, here's the deal and here's the pay. And they said, you mean you're paying for this? I think some of them were willing to pay us to get him out of the house. It uh, it worked out well. One area we didn't really touch on. Um, are you? Did you marry? Have any children? Yes, I have uh, married Thelma Sykes from uh, out near Silver Mines, okay. and uh, you've met Kessie, and uh, my son Bill. He's uh, he works up at the uh, correction facilities at Bonterre. Okay. And Thelma worked at the county health office. office. So yeah. Is that two two children? Yes, uh huh. It is and ha- it has been and still is a wonderful life. Mm-hmm.